Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Psalm 66. And verses 1 through 20, which is the entire psalm. It's going to be found on page 464 in your pew Bibles, or 900 in large print. And before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we ask that this morning you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are ready to receive your message for us today. God, we pray that you would give us all this by the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives today to change us into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you, and an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Then turning to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. Which can be found on page 929 in Pew Bibles or 1780 in the large print. kind of from the Psalms, already heard a bit of reminder of who God is and how he has worked in Israel's past. We get a bit more now as uh, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. 
We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are looking at yet another of Jesus' parables of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we have, we've been looking at parables that Jesus is telling about the kingdom of heaven, clarifying for us what the kingdom of heaven is like and how that's different than what we might expect or how it's very different from the kingdoms of this world. And, uh, oh, so different from the kingdoms of this world. The parable Jesus tells today, the one we're reading today anyway, is a parable about a net. And there's a fishing uh, metaphor that he's using here, image. And in this fishing metaphor, the kind of net that he's talking about, the way that the type of fishing is, and I specify this for those of you, I don't know if we have any fishermen here or not, think we do. But this may not be the type of fishing you're used to. <laughs> I want to clarify that uh, right up front, that the kind of fishing this is, is where they have a net, a large net, with floaters on the top and sinkers on the bottom, weights on the bottom, and they put it between several boats, they drop the net down, and they just pull it on into shore. And of course, by the time they get into shore, they've kind of trapped everything that's in there. That's the kind of fishing that he's talking about. When he says, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the parable. It's short, but there's a lot there. And a lot that corrects our uh, misunderstandings of what the kingdom may be like. And, uh, and yet, some odd parts of this, and I just want to caution everybody at the outset before going too far with this in any particular direction, be careful that you don't try to make everything in the parables that Jesus tells represent something. That's not the, that's not the intention. There are certainly symbolic elements that he uses, but that does not mean that everything has to represent something. And if you try to push too far, you quickly get in danger of uh, missing the point entirely but also just making a mess of the whole thing. And one of the ways that we can tell that what Jesus is doing here is using this as an image that's not supposed to be taken too far is when he talks about that uh, thrown in the blazing 
furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But he's just been talking about fishing. You say, but that's not what happens when you throw bad fish away. You don't throw them into a furnace. That's weird. And it is. It's because he's using the fishing uh, metaphor, the net, dragging all of these fish to shore. That part is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he goes on to explain in other ways, not having to do with fishing anymore. So it kind of leaves the fishing thing. But the fishing is supposed to uh, teach us something. And here is uh, one of the things that it, that it keeps us from. is thinking, as we were talking with the kids, that you know, when the... Um, I'll find it here. That when bad things are happening, we think that maybe God's not doing anything. Maybe his kingdom hasn't come, isn't coming. Maybe this is just the way that it is. I say maybe God's not on the throne after all. But Psalm 13. I don't know if you can relate to David when he writes, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Do you hear all those cries of the heart at the beginning? How long, how long, how long? And this is not just the only place, that's not the only place where that phrase comes through. That happens throughout the Bible. Is you have people saying, we see the ways in which it looks like the bad guys are winning. It looks like evil is actually winning and good is not. It looks like good is losing. And yet the question is, how long, how long, how long? which implies that we know, we know that it's not how the story ends, right? And so the question is, how long must we, have to, must we put up with a situation where evil seems to be winning before we finally get to see the victory that God has uh, in store for all creation? So the how long question. Well, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a net, I want you to have that picture in your mind of a net that's dragging everything to shore. Because here's what this means. When Jesus says the net is dragging everything to shore, it's saying there will come a time. You may be swimming around in there, and there are good fish and bad fish. There are, uh, fish. Another one you don't want to push too far when you have the good fish that get sorted into baskets, and you go, and where do those go? <laughs> those are the ones that get gutted and <laughs> cooked and eaten, right? Yeah, no, that's, you can't push this too far. But it's those that he's uh, looking to keep and those that are worthless. And so you have your good fish and your bad fish are all swimming around together. But Jesus says, but there is a net. And the net is moving it all to an end. It's all coming to the shore. So when we're swimming around and we're thinking, this is, this is all going poorly, just don't forget, it's all actually headed somewhere. There is a net. There will be a day, the day of the Lord that is talked about again and again and again. And there will be this final time of sorting out. 
And so when we find ourselves, like I was saying to the kids, where there's a uh, where there's bad stuff going on, it's a reminder it's not the end of the story. There's still more to come. And in fact, as Jesus is telling us here, it's all moving already in a particular direction, and there will be that day uh, of sorting out. All right. So we know that it's going a direction. We also know that it seems like it's collecting everybody. And here's the other part of that. This type of fishing is not where you've got your, your particular bait for a particular kind of fish. And that's the only one you're pulling out of the water. This is the kind that just scoops up everybody. Everybody gets scooped in, and the sorting doesn't happen until the fishing is over. So it's not something where it's sorted ahead of time. This is very important for us to keep in mind. As we say, you know, when Jesus is preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, this is what the disciples then were, went out preaching to everyone, is that the kingdom of God really began with a life, ministry, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is where it began. And yet we say, but, 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 <laughs> what about all the bad stuff that's going on? He says that day is coming, and when it comes, that's when the sorting happens. And we kind of saw something similar uh, a couple parables ago when he was talking about the, uh, the wheat and the weeds that are growing up in the same place. And they say, should we go pull out all the weeds? No. <laughs> we see something similar here. That the job of the good fish is not to get the bad fish out before the net comes in. Not at all. It's just the fish all come in and trust that at that time there will be a sorting and all the bad will be out. Now, this is, um, this is important also when it talks about what is going to be separated out. And it says, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please understand what it's saying there is the wicked will be taken out and thrown into the blazing furnace. Um, But they will be removed from the righteous. So the righteous are the ones then who are kept The righteous are the ones that have been brought in for good. So then we have to ask, who are the righteous? What does it mean to be righteous? Paul talks about this a lot in the book of Romans. He talks about a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's that right standing with God that comes not through what we can do to earn our way to God, but he has done for us in Jesus and our trusting in that and living accordingly. See, it's easy to say it's just believing in Jesus as though that means all we have to do is believe certain facts about him or be able to answer a true false question correctly about who Jesus is or what he's done. But when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus, it's a wholehearted, 
belief and trust and life that's lived out of that belief. It is... um, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And this is hard for us as evangelicals because a lot of times we say, no, 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 it's, we're so on the, it's by faith alone, we think all we have to do is know the right things. We don't have to do anything. If we do anything, then we're in danger of adding our own works to what Jesus has done. And we say, no, we can't do that. So we just need to know the right things. That's it. And yet what Jesus says is, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So what does that look like? To live the life that Jesus is calling us to live. And one of the areas that uh, this gets into is when Jesus, like one of the commands that Jesus gets over and over and over is love one another. And he keeps repeating this, especially the night before he goes to the cross. This is the command that he emphasizes again and again and again to his disciples. As though they would hear it and go, okay, yeah, they love each other, got it. What's the, what's the important stuff, though? It's like, no, 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 don't miss it. This is the important stuff. Love each other. Love each other, love each other. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. It keeps going over that. And so then, as Christians, we take that and we go, okay, got it. We're supposed to love each other, but not those other people. And so we see story after story where Jesus says, no, 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 love your enemies. Let me tell you about the Samaritan. (laughs) Let me tell you about all these people that you are inclined to naturally hate. I want you to love them too. I want you to be the kind of people who are loving, wanting good things to happen to people who want bad things to happen to you. Wanting good things to happen to people who want bad things to happen to you. This is what it looks like to love our enemies. This is what it looks like when we see the community of the righteous. It's not natural, and I guarantee you, there are probably people here who are saying, this is not the way the world works. I guarantee you, you're right. This is not the way the world works. And that's because the world is currently broken. But this is the way the world is always supposed to have worked. And this is the way the world will work again. And so when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God with Jesus as the king on the throne... We know that this is where it's all headed in the end. The question is not, how can we live right now the way the world works? The question is, do we trust and believe that this is the way that it was supposed to work and the way that it's going to work again, and so live now in line with that? I have to tell you about a guy by the name of Ananias. I may have told you about him recently, but it's worth retelling. Ananias is usually, we don't make a, a lot of him, but I think we do that only because he's overshadowed in the same uh, chapter in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, we usually think about the story of Saul's conversion. When Saul is the Pharisee of Pharisees, who is the one who, when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he is the one who is uh, standing there giving his approval to people throwing rocks at the deacon of the church in Jerusalem, Stephen, until he dies. And Saul is sitting there going, yeah, that is exactly what should happen to somebody who's following Jesus. This is how we're introduced to Saul. And then he's going, uh, gets letters from the high priest to go to uh, Damascus, where he's going to look for more Christians. 
that he can either throw in prison or worse. This is what the focus is on. Now, this is all the story that Ananias knows. Ananias is a Christian who's living in Damascus. A city, by the way, that still has Christians living in it who are under threat of persecution. Ananias is living in Damascus, and he hears that Saul is coming to town. He has no idea, by the way, that Saul has been changed, that he's met Jesus on the way. We know that as we read the story, which I think is probably why we kind of skip over Ananias. But he doesn't know that. So let me just kind of ask you to put yourselves in Ananias' shoes for a moment. You are in Damascus. You hear that Saul is coming. He's looking for Christians to throw them in prison or kill them. And you go to pray to God. What are you praying? My guess is you're probably praying one of two things, maybe both at the same time. One, God, protect me from this guy. Hide me. Don't let him find me. All right? Or two, destroy him. Don't let him get here at all. Just take him out so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Those are probably the the prayers that are going to come most naturally to us. Here's the answer, though, that Ananias receives. I don't know what he prays, but he gets this vision from God that says, all right, Ananias, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to a certain house where Saul is. I want you to go to him. And Ananias responds, as we probably all would, You've got to be kidding. (laughs) And so Ananias begins to explain to God, surely you you don't understand what the situation is here. Let me explain to you. This is a bad dude. And he's come here to hurt people like me. I can't go to him. Why Why don't you think about that again? God says, no, no, no. I know what's really going on, and I'm going to tell you to do what does not make any sense for you to do. I'm going to ask you to go and love your enemy. And Ananias gets up, and he goes to the house, and he finds Saul, and he greets him, and he says, Brother Saul. When we look at the parable of the net, the kingdom of heaven is like a net, where there's going to be a sorting. Let us remember couple of things. One, that that day is coming, so we don't have to worry and fret about it. And all the evil and bad things that we see all around us, we know that that is just another evidence that the story's not over. But two, let's also remember that we're not the ones who are going to need to do the sorting. Not now, not later. But that we have been called as those who are being made righteous in Jesus to do the things that he's called us to do which includes loving our neighbors, loving our enemies. And we do so not because we're better than anybody. But we do so because of the one who we believe is the king of everything, who has come for us, who has given his life for us, who showed us what it looks like to actually love our enemies because he did it for us when we were his enemies. That we would be those who can want good things to happen to those who want bad things to happen to us, showing ourselves really to be his disciples. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.